your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter number 13. Now, I know that may surprise some of you, Hebrews chapter number 13, and just camp out there for just a moment, uh, because uh, I think that is a surprise to you, but hopefully you'll know a little bit uh, more as we go along. If I were to ask some of you today, hey, what did the pastor preach Easter 2017? Crickets. What about 14? What about last year? Well, we weren't here. We were in shutdown, weren't we? But today I want to talk to you about something that's very important, certainly the resurrection. But I have two very important questions that we are going to be working through today together. And these two questions center around a very important subject, a very important topic. That subject and that topic is, what do you do with the resurrection? Now we've come today, we're all celebrating the resurrection and man, it is vitally important. It's the paramount of our salvation. And we come celebrating that today, but probably nowhere in your life has anyone stopped and asked you, but what do you do with that resurrection? And I know some of you say, well, you accept Christ. You accept that free gift of love from our Savior. And certainly you do. But is there more in terms of executing the resurrection? And I don't know about you, but I encounter all kinds of situations and questions that uh, I just don't know the answer to. Can I illustrate for you? And again, let me repeat, this week has been one of those weeks that people have asked me all kinds of questions, I've been in all kinds of situations, and I just don't really know how to respond. For instance, for you that come here on a regular basis, you know I feel very uncomfortable in a coat and a tie. And today I have a brand spanking new pair of shoes on. <laughs> I had to get my wife to lace them up 15 minutes before this service. And if you don't believe that, you ask her. Have you ever put a brand new pair of dress shoes on and know how slippery they are on the bottom? Let me demonstrate for you. Keegan, come on up, buddy. Yeah, you, like your eyes are that big. <laughs> Yeah, Micah, come on up just for a moment. Now, if you guys let me down on this, I know we haven't practiced. I know you had no idea this was coming. But just let me demonstrate how slick these shoes are. You guys stand on that side. One of you take my right hand. Turn around, crazy man. Come on, Micah. And I want y'all just to drag me like I'm on a sled, like these two shoes are skis, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Is, is the point illustrated of how slippery this is? Thank you. Now, y'all have had your moment up here. Go sit down, okay? <laughs> so I'm walking up these steps. You know what I'm saying? What do you do with a situation like that? I'm just asking. Here I am, hundreds of people, bright lights, another several hundred looking down the barrel at camera. I'll do the best I can. Monday, I'm at a tractor supply store here in Longview, Texas. A man sees me across the store. Pastor Cook, Pastor Cook. Yes, he doesn't go to our church. Anyway, he's making small talk. I'm enjoying visiting with him. All of a sudden he says, I've got some, hey, this Sunday's Easter. Yeah, it, it is Easter. What are you gonna, pre I mean, what are you gonna preach on? <laughs> well, maybe the resurrection, we'll see. And uh, he says, hey, I got, I got something I want you to try. Will you try it? Well, how do you answer that? Well, let me hear it first. He says, get up there during the message. 
and tell all the people that are there that you have three messages in your Bible. He says, tell them first of all that you have a five minute $100 message. Tell them that you have a $50 message that's 15 minutes long. And tell them you've got a five minute $500 message. And then I just want you, Pastor, to tell them this. Now we're going to take the collection and I'll figure out which one I'm going to preach. (laughs) Now I'm just asking you, what do you do with that? You know what I'm saying? Or how about this one? Two weeks ago, down the hall, Pastor, 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 come here. One of our older preschoolers has a question for you. That's never a good sign when they flag the pastor down and a preschool has a question. You know what I'm saying? Never a good question. So the teacher... They've got these little kids huddled up inside the room and, 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 and the story goes like this. Do you remember it? Lot, Lot, you tell your wife, you and your wife, you be sure to tell her and you, you, you also, you need to flee the city. And Lot's wife, as she fled, looked back and she turned to salt. And then the teacher says, and she calls the little boy's name, asks Pastor Cook your question, and the little boy looks at me and says, what happened to the flea? <laughs> I don't know what to do with that, is what I'm telling you. I brought my notepad, just so you'll believe me, on my desk, Maggie Thomas, one of our own staff member kids, she comes bursting into Pastor Mike's office this week, no joke. And she, I mean, I can always tell Maggie, she's either in her inquisitive mood or she's pouting in a bad mood. I mean, she is the queen bee, man, I'm telling you. She has the same personality as her dad, I'm telling you. (laughs) Anyway, Maggie goes over there, she plops down in my big chair and I have this notepad right there laying on the desk. And she says, what is this? I said, it's my sermon notes. And she says, well, um, how do you know what to say? And I said, Maggie, God tells me what to say. And so I turned to do something else and then after just a slight pause, I hear this question, why are there so many scratch outs on your notepad? (laughs) Now I'm just asking you as I come on this Easter Sunday morning, let's just be honest here. I'm trying to stay upright, I'm draped in this coat, and I'm trying to help you understand a very important principle. What do you and I do with the resurrection? I mean, when we think about the incredible resurrection, we do understand, don't we, that that our Lord and Savior, that whole cross and resurrection deal, we do understand, don't we, that he volunteered for that. No one forced him to do that. No one made him do it. He was not put on any undue pressure or stress by any particular man or group. Our Lord and Savior did that. In fact, John 10, 18 says, you remember Jesus' words? No man takes my life. No man. But I lay it down. I lay it down of my own wishes, of my own accord. You remember Jesus saying that? I have the authority to lay it down. And boy, this is, this is the essence of the day, isn't it? And I have the authority to what? Pick it up again. Wow. You remember what he said in Matthew 26? Incredible moment. When all the pressure's 
coming down on our Lord and Savior. The Lord, our Lord and Savior just said, wait, 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 wait. Do you not understand that I could call upon my Father anytime and, and, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12,000, 12 legions of angels? As we gather today, we need to understand something very important. No one forced Jesus to do what he did. Pilate didn't. Herod didn't. The mobs of people around him didn't. The soldiers did not. It was as if Jesus played out the drama that he and the Father had orchestrated and Jesus understood fully what his part was. I am the sacrificial lamb. My role has been clearly defined. I come from divinity. I assume a role, a real role of manhood. I'm God, man, man, God. And I'm gonna live out a fleshly life in perfection. And then I'm gonna hang on a cross in one of the most hideous deaths possible. All because I love humanity. And even in their sin, there's gotta be a one-time offering for them so that they can be saved. And you know, there's a simple name in the English language for that. It's a very simple name. It's the name of love. In fact, that's what Paul writes about in Romans 5, 8, when he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we will still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And one of the most perplexing thoughts for me going into this Easter Sunday has been those incredible words in Hebrews 12, 2, that simply start that verse off by saying, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What joy is that? Have you ever stopped to think about that? What joy is there to this whole cross and resurrection concept? But there is the answer in the question. It was our own Lord's words that said, this, you can destroy this temple. He was speaking of his own body and in three days I'll raise it up again. It was our own Lord's words that he said the son of man must suffer many things and be killed and in three days he'll rise again. It was the Lord Jesus' words in three days, I will rise from the grave. I will never die again. I will be the high eternal priest living an indestructible life. Jesus said all authority and heaven on earth will be mine. I'll be king over every king. I'll be Lord over every Lord and I will sit with my father on his throne. So I just come to you today. I hope you'll grab something to write with, which is two simple questions. And I want us to look today at these few verses in Hebrews chapter 13. Because as I told, I don't know, 75 or 100 worshipers on Wednesday morning of this week, hey, this has captured my heart. The essence of this is a church in first century that couldn't really answer the question I asked you or started out asking you today. What do you really do with the resurrection? There's a lot of things about Hebrews we don't know. We don't know exactly who wrote it. Maybe Barnabas, maybe some other disciple of Paul. I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of different theories. And in fact, we don't even know exactly what year it's written other than we know it was first century. We know it was after the resurrection of Jesus, before the total destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Most scholars would put it somewhere in the late 50s or the early to mid 60s, which would mean there's been what, 20, 24, 25 Easter's, if you will. There's been 24, 25 years since the event of the cross and resurrection has taken place. And already those first century believers are beginning to defect 
Many of them are trying to go back to Judaism. They're trying to get out the old laver, the old symbolic tools that were put away in the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews spends much of the book of Hebrews trying to help them and instruct them so that they'll understand that Jesus is far better you don't want to go back into that. You don't want to retreat back into that type of lifestyle. And with that in mind, and this morning, as we begin reading these three or four verses, Hebrews chapter 13, I'm going to begin in just a moment with verse number 11. I would just suggest to you that as we leave this place of worship today, I think the resurrection really it demands a response from us. If nothing else, can I just appeal to your human dignity today and suggest to you that the resurrection deserves a response from us today? What do you and I do with this whole tomb, this whole Jesus coming back to life moment? What do we do with that? How do we respond to that? And as we begin reading these verses, I want you to write the first question down so as we read these verses, you can be processing through this first question. The first question that I want you to answer is this, are we going to die in our religion or are we going to die in our devotion? Are you and I going to die in our religion or are we gonna die in our devotion? Let's read together Hebrews chapter 13. I'm gonna begin reading from the New International Version, in verse number 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one provided for you in the pew in front of you. If you feel safe enough under COVID restrictions and the person's attractive enough next to you and you're single, that's important, then you can share, okay? Here we go. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place, all caps, as a sin offering, but the bodies of the burned outside the camp. These bodies that were offered up, they are to be offered up outside the camp. Look in verse 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. And then look finally in verse 14. But here... We do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. Here we have a church very much like ours. Yeah, certainly several thousand years separate us, but with the same question and the same dilemma when it comes to the resurrection. We're celebrating that several thousands of years later. They were celebrating that 20, 25 years of Easter celebrations, if you will, the cross and the resurrection. Certainly not so much a celebration around the cross. That was a very miserable act, but the resurrection. Now there's something that you can really sink your teeth into with joy. And they were having the same struggle. What do we do that? And many of these first century Christians were shrinking back from faith. They were falling away from mission. They were holding back. And as I see it, really, there were just basically two problems that they were fighting. One of them was just the problem they were so driven by formalism, it was just eating away at them. They were all about how they worshiped, and they suddenly lost who they were worshiping. Do you think as a culture, Americans fall into that trap? Do you think we're really more concerned about how we look than who we're worshiping? 
Do you think as American culture, we've come to that place in our lives where really it's more of the ceremony around Easter than the worship of the one that's responsible for Easter? I would just suggest to you that their worship really was more style without substance. And that was a problem. But really they had another challenge and they were also just paralyzed by fear. Many of these first century Jews were facing expulsion, persecution, imprisonment, and it was a costly thing for them to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It was costing them something in those first days upon Jesus' departure to really hold the course and to follow him and to be true disciples. It was costing them friendships. It was costing them in the business world. When priests, uh, that Levitical caste, began to try to squeeze them back into the old covenant, I mean, it became a very expensive thing for them of their life, their days. Everything began to cost them. And with those two big problems, they had choices to make. They could retreat from the mission that Lord Jesus had put them on to, or they could risk everything for the mission of Christ. Those two choices were laid before them. Now, we've got to do something very quickly today. I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all those verses, but I'm just going to ask that you jot them down on your notes and you can look at them as I'm talking about them to save us all two minutes and eight seconds. Woo-wee, big savings. Do you understand that what I'm talking to you about today has been a repetitive challenge for the human culture, for for humanity from the very beginning? Let me just give you some illustrations of that quickly. Numbers chapter 13, the children of God have come after 400 years of slavery. 400 years, and finally they're out of Egypt. They're wandering, heading to a special place that God's promised them. And when you come to verse number 31 in Numbers chapter 13, you see the report, the report of the spies. Remember, leadership had sent the spies into the land to come back to give a clear report of what they were to do. And just to summarize, verse 31 and following out of Numbers 13 These spies came back as a whole, not all of them, but the majority of them came back and said, let me tell you something, we better not go into that land. Those people are a lot stronger than we are. In fact, those verses, verse 32 and following, began to give the essence of the bad report that they're sharing with all of Israel. Boy, we got bad news, bad news. The retreat is on now. And, and they begin to say how the land is going to devour living things. We've witnessed it. The land over there across the Jordan, it just devouring people. And then on top of all that, there's giants over there. They're so big that it makes us as a humanity, as a human race, it, looks, it, it makes us look like grasshoppers. And it's an interesting moment that God's children come to. In fact, a few verses later, it comes to this essence. The people began to murmur, the Bible says, against leadership. So we're going to elect some new leadership and, you know, we'll take a vote and we just think we'll go back. had a huge decision to make, to trust God for the provision or to go forward. Retreat or to risk it all and follow what God was asking them to do. 
Now quickly over Numbers 14, these verses we do want to read. I want to show you because Moses goes and he begs. He begs the Lord. The Lord has brought his people out of, I mean, think about those plagues that God stood up and did incredible miracles in the people of Egypt, got them freed, and then sustained them across the desert, brought them to the trusted land. God had them ready to cross over. All they had to do is have faith in him and trust him. And, and the people said, no, we want to go back. At least over there, they fed us when we were slaves. And so Moses knew that there was a heartbreak. A heartbreak for the Lord about his people's rebellion. And so Moses pleased with, pleads with God, God, please spare your people, forgive them. And here's what the Bible says in Numbers 14, beginning in verse 20. And the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you ask. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them, verse 23, will ever see the land I promised, an oath to their ancestors. Not one of them who's treated me with contempt will ever see it. And then jump down to verse 32, but as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. You see, humanity has battled this. We battle this. We won't turn there, but in Judges chapter two, do you remember finally after 40 more years of wandering and all of those deaths in the wilderness, finally a new generation said, we will trust God. They crossed over and then God gave another challenge. I, hey, these Canaanites, are gonna pollute, they're gonna try to dilute who you are in your relationship with me. I want you to rid every one of them out of this land. You remove every single one of them. And Judges chapter two tells us that God's people said, well, we're, we don't see the need in that. And again, they had a choice. Do we sell out to the Lord's call in our life or do we retreat? You know, there's a third place. I mean, we, we go on and on. You get over there to 1 Samuel chapter number eight. And God's children, the Bible tells us, all the other countries around them, the nations around them had kings. They had earthly kings. And God's children suddenly decided, we need a king. We don't need just Jehovah God. We need a king of our own. And we remember biblically that craziness. And you come to the end of Hebrews. And here we are again, hundreds of years later. The Lord Jesus has just departed maybe 20, 25 years previous to this in a great ascension. God's own son. These people were able to witness it. Most of them were able to see it with their own eyes. And here's the question again, are you gonna retreat? Or are you going to risk it all for the cause of Christ? We fast forward to the day in which we live. And can I just share with you quickly? You would have to surmise and foster your own thoughts around this subject. 
of where the American church is today? Are we really risking it at all for the mission of sharing God's incredible grace with a whole generation of people to disperse that gospel as God has called us to at any cost? Or have we shrunk back? I think about where we have been this last year. I think about the over 200,000 people that died in fires in Australia or flash floods in Chile and Afghanistan and 11 different earthquakes that have killed thousands in the Middle East nations. Think about that for a moment. Over 200,000 people died since 2020, most never hearing the gospel. I think about our world today, and man, we live in a crazy world. Do you realize that more than half of planet Earth's population, they survive on less than $2 a day? It's a people around the globe that are desperate for hope. And we in our American churches have so isolated and insulated ourselves so often to the point that we give a tip of our hat to 8%, 4%, 10% of our offerings to some mission cause, and we think that we are doing well. I think about the world that we live in. Think about India, for instance, that has more people living at a poverty level than all the inhabitants of America. I think about our nation where we've just recently had a half a million people die of COVID. Several in our own fellowship that our heart still breaks over their departure. Now 30 million cases in America alone. Did you realize, have you seen that last year alone hurricanes reached an all new level in America and our borders? Have you ever thought about the number $95 billion worth of damage? Do you know that every single year that clicks by, 25 million children are exploited or sent off somewhere in some sex trafficking scheme? Man, I, I don't know what you think about all those needs around us, but I'm just, man, this Easter, this church, these people that were written to in the book of Hebrews, that just seized my heart. Here they are wondering what they need to do to shrink back or to go forward and risk it all for the cause of Christ. They had the same question that was in front of them. I would just suggest to you that I see so little risk in the mission that God has called us to. When we as Christians need to be on the actual firing line for God, most Christians are off in some classroom or nursery still eating spiritual milk. And there's a great need in front of us. I just suggest to you today that Easter, the resurrection, it really demands a response from us this year. It really deserves that. So I just ask once again, retreat, 
or a complete sell out with everything in you to accomplish the mission. Formalism and missed opportunity are risking everything for the mission of Christ. And let me just say this, because I know this is Easter Sunday morning, I'm well aware. I've got the shoes to prove it. You and I both know that if we choose to retreat, I'm not suggesting today that God's going to do something unbiblical that is not in his nature or character like we'll lose our salvation. I'm not suggesting that at all. You know as well as I that our God is a God of incredible mercy. And just as he did over a million people in the history in the Bible, he will forgive us. But can I just share with you what he might do is just leave us alone to die in the wilderness. Thousands of churches in the last few years have closed. They would not risk all that God had called them to risk. And so God removed the presence from them and left them to die in the wilderness. And don't be so naive today to think that God might not do that to a church that we know. What are we gonna do? Retreat or risk everything? A last question, jot it down. A question that's been heavy on my heart. Are we going again to die in religion or going to die in devotion? But a second question, will we embrace our comfort or will we embrace his cross? I mean, when it comes to the religion devotion question, I know it's Easter and it's like, pastor, shouldn't there be some life here? What about, are we gonna die in our religion? Are we gonna live in our devotion? That, that would be better. But when you go back to the, the, the text here in verse 12 and 13, go back to it, we have a real dilemma here as believers looking back at these words for a very pointed reason, verse 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Listen to this, verse 13. It's, it, it's an incredible moment. It's gripped my heart. It will not turn loose of my heart. Such a strangle on my heart today that I couldn't even go to the gospels for the traditional resurrection message. But verse 13 says, let us then go to him outside the camp. An outside Easter. That's what I would ask you to consider. Maybe 2021 will be a year that somebody will ask a question a few years from now and you'll say, hey, I don't remember a lot of Easter messages, but I I remember 2021 coming out of that COVID thing. I, I remember it because someone for the first time suggested to me how to respond to the resurrection. And I don't remember the exact wording because it's been several years, but it was something about retreating or going forward. And it was also something about comfort and it was something about the cross. Because if you and I put ourselves in the place of these first century readers, going outside the city meant something. Going outside the gates of protection meant something. In fact, we don't have time to look at all of them, but over in the book of Leviticus, jot them down, you can look at them later, chapter 16, verses 27 and 28. Let me say that again, Leviticus 16, 27 and 28. 
we have there the premise for what we have recorded right here in these verses. The festival of the atonement. Each year the Jewish community would have to come and offer a sacrifice for their sin. Their sin had such stench and filth as any sin does that once the blood was shed, that carcass was taken outside the city. Outside the city was not a real good place. It was a place where bad things happened. In fact, in this particular case, it was a dirty place. It was the dump grounds for all of the sins that had been taken on symbolically in the carcass of that animal. They wouldn't even keep it in the city. Out it goes to be completely consumed by fire, every part of it. In fact, when you look at those verses, my wife tells me not to use the word guts from the pulpit, so I won't. I think many of the translations said the intestines were burned, the flesh were burned. Every part of that animal was consumed outside. You go outside is what the writer of the Hebrews was saying. And that's what the Bible tells us today. As a church body, you need to be going outside. Yeah, but outside, pastor, is a dirty place. Leviticus 13, another passage you'll want to look at, verses 45 and 46, it was also outside the city a despised place. Because in Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, it tells us this is a place that those that had skin ailments went. We know what the big L word was in first century, leprosy. <laughs> That's where the leper colonies were. That's where people that had some bad stuff went. And we don't want to touch them because we might get what they have. So not only was outside representative to the first century uh, reader that, hey, there are dirty places out there and despised places, but there were also dangerous places. Leviticus 24, in your nap time reading today, verses 13 through 15, tell us that's where the criminals were, were prosecuted. Those that were blasphemous, blasphemous people were stoned there. People would get around them, they would take rocks, they would touch their head, and then they'd beat the head with the stone until the people were dead. Is that pointed enough for you today? But you know the resurrection, you know the cross, was on the, right, on the mind of the writer. Did you get that phrase? I love it, incredible. Let us go outside the camp, verse 13, bearing the disgrace that he bore. That's where it all took place for Jesus. The cross, the whole criminal element went outside the city. There he hung between those two others. There was the scourging and the beating and the mocking and the reviling. There was the death, the physical death that took place. And not far from that was the tomb because dead people didn't come inside the city. Death stayed outside the city gates. That too, the whole resurrection, John 19 tells us, took place outside the gates. Do you find it interesting that the writer of Hebrews tells us when he refers to this moment where Jesus was, he says, can't you reach inside of yourself and go outside? That's where Jesus was, outside. You go back and look at his ministry. Where was Jesus touching the leper outside? He was touching the infirmed outside. 
outside. He was sharing with the outcast at a well outside. Our Lord and Savior completely, completely an outside Savior. And I just ask you today, as we think about this imagery, I just, um, what are we called to do with the resurrection? My fear is that pastors like myself will lead churches in a place somewhere else other than outside. And you know, as followers craft a Jesus that they want to see, a Jesus that's a cleaner Jesus, a more comfortable Jesus, a, 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 a Jesus that is not quite so hard to follow, a, a, a Jesus that really doesn't require us to go into challenging places. That's what the real challenge was for the first century believer because many of them wanted to follow Jesus, but they didn't want to pay the cost. And so the writer of Hebrews told him very carefully, you have a choice. You can die in retreat or you can die risking it all. And so today as we come as Easter worshipers, I don't really know what you're going to do with that question. You and I encounter situations that we don't really always know exactly how to handle. We get questions that are fired at us at times that we don't know exactly how to respond to. But I just wonder if we've not prioritized our comforts rather than meeting the true needs around us. William Arthur Ward said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you, but encourage me, and I will never forget you. What are we going to do with the resurrection? I just want to encourage you. With a world that's turned upside down, politically, you tell me what we do with the mess that we're in. Medically, financially, a world that's messed up, a world that's in desperate need of hearing the truth and the answer to so many of the challenges that the gospel brings. My prayer is that this will be an outside Easter. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, I just want to thank you. I just thank you for this group of worshipers that has come to this place to celebrate the resurrection. And Father, we believe in your resurrection. We celebrate that resurrection. But Father, as we pray about what shall we do with the actual resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Father, I would just once again submit that it demands us to answer that question. Our Lord deserves us to answer. We, he deserves an answer from our hearts today. 
I just wonder if there's someone here that has never trusted the Lord Jesus. Today, we've had the privilege of watching two very important students and young adults walk through the waters of baptism, giving us an actual symbolic picture of the individual outside of Christ and the individual coming up from those waters in a symbolic way, representing the newness, the brand new creation that we are in the Lord Jesus. So Father, today for that one that that has been wandering, that one that their heart is not yoked with our Lord, that one that's struggling in life to find their real purpose and meaning, Father, I pray that today they may find Jesus. We're so thankful that your word gives us clear instruction that if we'll confess our sin and turn to Jesus alone and ask through repentance of our sins that he will save us, that we shall be saved. And Father, would there be someone today that might begin that journey in Christ? Father, today we just love you. We share our hearts with you. In our brokenness, we stand before you in awe. We worship you. Today, Father, as we close this service in these next few moments and continue this time of worship, Father, let us not forget who we are worshiping. Father, we love you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.